Hey listeners, today's episode involves discussion of sexual assault. We wanted to notify our listeners who may experience trauma related to that topic ahead of the episode and to let you know that resources are listed on our website. Thanks for listening. It's cool story, cool story. The wheel of time, the ultimate fantasy. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I'm here. Are you uh, jazzed, ready, pumped, excited? Wow, jazzed. Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling feeling good. Feeling like it was I... a, a good week, and I'm I'm back at it and ready to go. Have you been watching <laughs> or playing anything new? Are you playing any video games these days? It's been a minute because uh, I've just been so. I leave work feeling exhausted every Aww. day, and I remember the days when I worked at Starbucks and previous jobs, and I would think of people who were friends of mine who worked in offices and such, and they would say how they're exhausted and stuff, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, how? How yeah. could you be exhausted? <laughs> you know, like, what? what is involved in a job at a computer that could possibly exhaust you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, oh, I've, I mean, I've definitely learned it before this but this is a perfect example of like i close my laptop and i don't even want to watch a show (laughs) yeah i literally have to like put on some random thing on youtube in the background while i just do a menial task that doesn't involve a screen it's been a lot so finding the desire to play a game and look at a screen like and dedicate my time to it has been a little bit hard for me lately. Yeah. Um I have the Donkey Kong game for the Switch that my little sister let me borrow like almost a month ago. I still mm-hmm. have not played it, but I really want to. Yeah. Um I will say, I don't know the names of both of them, but Davey and I have been playing some games together lately that are fun. Oh, really? Yeah, they're they're both on the PS5, but I know that they're not like exclusive to the 5. I think they're available for lots of consoles. One of them is, oh gosh, I don't know the name of it. I might have to look it up, or maybe a listener will know. But you, it's sort of like a puzzle game, mm-hmm. and it's multiplayer. You play as kiwis, the bird, hmm. not the fruit. Um, okay, I was like, interesting. Okay, go on. <laughs> and uh, there's some customizing things, like, you know, hats and glasses and stuff, and that's cute. But basically, you're trying to send messages or, you know, decipher messages and stuff. Uh, And there's, like, obstacles that get in your way. And the higher the level, the more obstacles get in your way. And you're trying to beat time limits and stuff. It's very fun. Appropriately hard to get, like, the gold medal on all of the rounds. But anyone out there who knows that game, uh, let us know the name. And uh, that way our listeners will all know about it because I've done a bad job. (laughs) <laughs> the other one is, I'm not sure which one, but we've been playing Diablo together. Oh, yeah. And I've never played Diablo before, but it's super fun. I mean, it reminds me of a much more amped up version of like Gauntlet. <laughs> from oh, back yeah. In the day, you know? Yeah, true. I'm, yeah, I've played Diablo. I can't remember if two or three. I played it on the Switch. Uh, yeah. It's fun. I it's That's not the style of game that holds my attention for a very long time because I just feel like I end up smashing buttons and button smashing games aren't like my favorite. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I've just been still playing Breath of the Wild, but uh, I don't know if you follow any like video game news or anything like that, mm-hmm. but the sequel to Breath of the Wild just got announced. <gasps> well, I mean, it had been announced, but the title and release date is announced. Oh, what's it called? Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Okay. And it is due for release on May 12th. Wow. Okay. I got to, one of these days, pick back up and just finish out Breath of the Wild. I don't know how you ever put it down, but... I'm so bad at finishing those style of games. I just feel like there's... (sighs) I'm such a... Don't go on to the next step unless you've really checked every single spot. uh, And you don't want to miss anything. And then I end up kind of like tiring myself out and forgetting Mm. to go back to the games. So... Interesting, interesting. I gotta do it. You should. You should go do it. Mm. Well, I think that's all I have to report. So... Should we get into the book? Yeah, I'm ready when you are. Okay. Well, uh, we last left off with Nynaeve and Elaine. And this episode, this episode, this chapter picks back up with that pair, um, or at least half of that pair. It's chapter 14. It is called Meetings. The sigil is the stone dream ring. And it is Nynaeve in Teleron Riyadh. Hmm. So, as we have seen, their kind of, like, favorite meeting place in Teleron Riyadh is the heart of the Stone of Tear, and she is there, and she kind of feels that sense of being watched that she always feels, or both she and Elaine and Egwene have always felt that sense of, like, being watched uh, in Teleron Riyadh. And Nynaeve kind of, like, thinks for a moment, wondering if Megedion is there watching her. But she's like, well, probably not, because I kicked her ass last time, and she would surely be doing more (laughs) than just watching me if she found me. True, but at the same time, I was thinking she could just be, you know, trying to play it cool now, because she knows her capabilities, so she knows she needs to be sneakier, you know? Yeah, looking for a moment of weakness. Yeah, but... Nynaeve calls out for Brigida, uh, who is, you know, the hunter of the horn, and we know the hunters of the horn, or heroes of the horn, sorry, live in the dream world in between being spun out into the real world, being reborn. And uh, she shows up with her, you know, big blonde braid and silver bow, and Nynaeve asks her if Gaidal Kane, who is her lover, um, is about, and... Brigida says she hasn't seen him in some time, which she thinks must mean he's been born out into the world again, because he usually is born out first, uh, and then she, uh, you know, is born sometime after. Mm-hmm. So Nynaeve is like, does that mean you're about to be spun back out into the world, uh, as, you know, all heroes of the Horn are periodically? And Brigida doesn't know. She says, you know, time flows different here. Uh, It could be tomorrow, it could be years from now. Uh, And she asks, like, how long it's been for Nynaeve since she met her last. And uh, Nynaeve says it's been 10 days, but... Or sorry, uh, Brigida says it's been 10 days for her, but only three for Nynaeve and Elaine. So time moves a little bit differently in Teleron Riyadh. Hmm. As the reader, we're meant to understand that Brigida has been meeting with Nynaeve and Elaine in Teleron Riyadh periodically to kind of... uh, you know, share information with them uh, there. She's been keeping an eye on the Forsaken in Teleron Riyadh for Nynaeve and Elaine. Even though even talking to Nynaeve and Elaine is like against all of the rules, she should not be doing it. Uh, but she tells Nynaeve that uh, a lot of the Forsaken have been in Teleron Riyadh. 
Mm-hmm. She says she's seen Robin, Samael, Grendel, Demondred, and Semarog. And uh, she's brave. Brigida is very brave and willing to kind of like hunt for them and keep an eye on them. But even uh, Sem- but Semarog scares even Brigida because, as we know, Semarog is a... Um, sadist? Sadist, yes. Thank okay. you. A sadistic torturer. Uh, and even like when she mentions her name, Nynaeve's clothes kind of unconsciously change to a deep hood to hide her face, which, you know, she realizes it and makes it disappear and go back to the clothes she had been wearing. Mm-hmm. Nynaeve asks Brigida if any of the Forsaken had spotted her, and Brigida says they're concerned with each other, not anyone else. I've seen Robin and Samael Grendel and Lanfer each stalking the others unseen, and Demondred and Semarog each shadowing them as well. I've not seen so much of them here since they were freed. So uh, she th- thinks that they're probably up to something. Hmm. But Brigida has not seen Megedian, and she's tried. Apparently, she tells Nynaeve that there's a way in Teleron Riyadh to kind of like find people who are aware that they're in Teleron Riyadh. There's like a ripple that kind of spreads through the air from anyone who is aware that they're in the dream world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she says she hasn't found Megedian since Nynaeve defeated her, so she could be in hiding. Uh, and after all, Megedian took her name from a spider from the Age of Legends that was notorious for hiding, and then uh, its bite was venomous enough to kill in heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So she says she'll keep trying, uh, but that she has to go. Uh, but before Brigida goes, Nynaeve says it would be helpful if she could tell Egwene and the wise ones about her, and Brigida's like, no, and then disappears. <laughs> After she vanishes, Nynaeve kind of, like, lets her thoughts drift to Lan and, like, looks, you know, uh, kind of, like, magics up a, a mirror for her to look at herself, and she starts thinking about, you know, the dresses that she's wearing, and it starts to get, like, lower and lower neckline and more and more tight and sheer uh, as she's thinking about Lan. And, of course, at this exact moment, Egwene shows up into Teleron Riyadh and is like, what are you wearing? <laughs> and Nynaeve, like, spins around quickly and changes her clothes uh, and is super embarrassed, especially because the wise one with Egwene is Melaine, who is, you know, very beautiful. And the last time that she had been, uh, the last time Nynaeve had interacted with Melaine, Melaine had been, uh, you know, complimenting Leanne's shoulders, which, uh, of course, made Nynaeve very prickly and uh, kind of jealous, jealous and yeah. possessive. Yeah. <laughs> Not that Nynaeve gets along particularly well with any of the wise ones, really. But Very uh, true. Um, so Nynaeve immediately asks if Lan is well, which he is, and then Nynaeve tells them what she and Elaine have been up to and that they've made it into Amadicia, but that she tells them about Ronde Mikura and the fork route, but she changes the story to say that she wasn't fooled and she recognized the flavor immediately. Uh, and she thinks to herself, like, why am I lying? I've never lied to Egwene before. And she also shares the news that Elaine is to be brought back to the White Tower. And she leaves out the part about them being accepted and being runaway accepted, uh, quote unquote, runaway accepted. Um, But she, uh, you know, says that they have to like, keep an eye out, be safe, try to figure out what's going on while they're trying to figure out what their next steps are. 
So Nynaeve learns that Rand has crossed the spine of the world after Cooladin, and she shares their worries about what this means, because, you know, this could be war, it could be really dangerous for the world to have so many Aeol crossing over into the the wetlands, um, and what it means for Rand. And Nynaeve, throughout this chapter, kind of has moments where she worries about Rand and thinks about how she left the village to keep him safe, uh, but she also now hopes that he holds on to his sanity until the last battle, which upsets her to even, like, she really doesn't like to think about, you know, the utility of the people that she cares about. Like, she really only likes to think about, you know, taking care of them as people, so it bothers her that she is thinking about the necessity of keeping Rand alive and sane so that he can prevent the end of the world, basically. Yeah, yeah. And Egwene tells Nynaeve about Moraine following Rand's commands and how he had commanded uh, Moraine to wait outside for him the night before and how Moraine waited outside for a full hour. And this news causes some conflicting emotions for Nynaeve because she doesn't like the idea of Rand's head getting so big and him being so prideful, but... She also really loves the idea of Moraine being taken down a peg or two because she is not the biggest fan of Moraine. Yeah, she's like, I like that, but I wish it was me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's like, I would like to be the one taking her down a peg or two. But she shares, you know, she doesn't tell them about Brigida, but she does share that she thinks the Forsaken have been plotting something. And Moraine immediately picks up on this and is like asking her if she's been, you know, looking around in the world of dreams and... Nynaeve is like, well, how else could I have learned it? (laughs) Uh, And so Malene immediately chastises her for basically running before she knows how to walk and calls her unschooled. Uh, To which Nynaeve replies, I have schooled myself in more than you ever taught me. I learned to channel on my own, and I do not see why Teleron Riyadh should be any different. And Malene is like, oh, so you must be what the Aes Sedai call a wilder, which, you know, is not a complimentary term in the world of Aes Sedai. And she says, you know the dangers of learning the power with, without guidance, I said, I do not think the dangers of the dream are less. They are just as great, perhaps more, for those who venture without knowledge. And Nynaeve says she knows what she's doing, and Malene says, you know nothing, and then calls her headstrong, as headstrong as Egwene when Egwene first came to them for training, and tells her that Lan will die the day he learns Nynaeve is dead, which is, Nynaeve calls fighting dirty. Mm-hmm. And Melaine tries to get her to promise not to do anything in Teleron Riyadh without first asking a wise one, but Nynaeve refuses to do so. So Melaine uh, takes Egwene and they depart, but not before she kind of forces the dream world to dress Nynaeve like a child in Aeol culture, uh, which Nynaeve has now learned is, you know, kind of an insult for somebody acting childish. Uh, so it irritates her. But they leave, and Nynaeve thinks, well, maybe there's a way for me to find out what's going on in the tower myself. And that is the end of chapter 14. Ooh. Chapter Your 15. chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so I texted Matt, I think at the beginning of, before we even started this book, to say that this book contains one of the most controversial chapters, I think, possibly in the entire series. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. All right. Well, it is chapter 15. It's called What Can Be Learned in Dreams. And we are staying with Nynaeve. The, uh, the icon is the Flame of Tarvalon, so it has the feeling of Aes Sedai dumb. 
<laughs> um, all right, so Nynaeve is trying to figure out a way to get to the Amerlin's study. She is still in Teleron Riyadh, so she figures if she focuses hard enough on it, she could do that traveling thing, but no matter how hard she imagines it, she just can't seem to get there. Yeah. So she's like, okay, that's weird. So she says, well, I think I know a place I can get to. It's a less savory location, but I'm familiar with it. Uh, she thinks of the mistress of the no- mistress of novices study because uh, this is where she's been sent for punishment many, many, many a time when she was in the tower. Yeah. She says that, uh, or she imagines that it'll be easier to get here because she's very, very familiar with the room, what the area looks like. So she starts to focus on it and uh, she thinks as she's trying to get there, that she'll probably be safe while she's there from being spotted by anybody because it's unlikely that anyone in the tower is dreaming of her specifically. Right. But she does remember that the Black Asha have Tarangriel in their procession. And if they're anything like the other Tarangriel that they've recovered from the Black Asha that was studied by Corian and Nadil, mm-hmm. then it'll probably be able to grant them access to the dream world, no problem. So very smart girl, I think. When I mm-hmm. when I heard that, I was very relieved. I love when I when they're figuring things out. Yeah, uh, she disguises herself anyway, though, and she now appears just like Melaine, and she dresses herself instead of in her like wools in the white dress of the accepted. She finds herself able to get near Sherry's study in the tower, and she whooshes by it ignoring the sounds coming from within because this is the dream world and she's like there are probably plenty of nightmares going on in there (laughs) uh she gets herself over to the amarillin study she opens the door ready to you know find swan and is shocked to see elida spin around in the chair basically and she orders her out of the room she says i'm the amarillin i'm elida what are you doing here blah 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 and she like slams the door behind her like uh what the hell did i just see (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, well, she's clearly dreaming because that is never going to happen. A light on yeah. the seat? Yeah, right. Keep dreaming. <laughs> Little does she know. Yeah. So now she's out in the hallway and she sees a young woman and she doesn't recognize her, but she's in accepted clothes as well. And instead of blinking out of existence, she just keeps going towards her. And she's like, oh, crap. Uh, I better get out of here. Before she gets the chance to leave, she hears the woman say to her that Melaine would be really pissed if she found out she was using her face. Mm-hmm. And she reveals herself to be Egwene, also in disguise. <laughs> and Nynaeve is like, oh my god, you scared me to death, girl. Thank god. But the reunion doesn't remain sweet for long because Egwene is very, very annoyed with Nynaeve for being here. She's disappointed in her decision-making because yeah. this is very dangerous and she shouldn't be here. Uh, she kind of goes on and says, I know you look at the wise one, the wise ones as enemies, and you don't trust them. But with this, they, are no, they know what they're talking about. Uh, she says, quote, Do you think Melaine was exaggerating? She was not, Nynaeve. The wise ones have told you the simple truth about Teleron Riyadh time and again, but you seem to think they're fools whistling in a high wind. You are supposed to be a grown woman, not a silly little child. 
I vow, whatever sense you once had in your head seems to have vanished like a puff of smoke. Well, find it, Nynaeve. Right now you are trying to play with the pretty flames in the fireplace, too foolish to realize you might fall in. So she's really giving it to her. She is. She sounds like the mistress of the novices, to be honest. She doesn't sound like <laughs> Egwene. Uh, Nynaeve does not appreciate this tone or dialogue, and she changes out of the white accepted clothes to something she feels more powerful in, like sort of the wool, blue wisdom clothing. And uh-huh. she says, I am well aware of the dangers, Egwene. But her and Egwene seem to get more and more heated. Egwene keeps her cool, but she's very assertive, and she will not let up. Uh, uh-huh. Nynaeve is getting frustrated, trying to compose herself. It's a very difficult situation, and Egwene says, listen, you don't, you say you understand, but I don't think you do, because here in Teleron Riyad, there are nightmares, real walking nightmares here, and if you don't survive here, you will die in real life too. So you don't really understand because the nightmares can survive even after the dreams are over. Yeah. And then this is the scene in the book, in the chapter that I believe you're referring to. Yes. So I'm just going to go over it with broad strokes and then we can talk about it a minute before we move on. Sounds good. All right, so just then, these two huge, hulking, like, uh, human-like creatures. I'm picturing, like, ogres mm-hmm. type thing. They come out of nowhere. They grab it. They grab Nynaeve. They attack her, and they, it seems like, sexually assault her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is terrifying to her. It's traumatizing to her. To the extent where she she's not even angry or feeling anything. All she could feel is terror and horror. So she's can't channel. So she's very vulnerable, even right. more so than usual. Um, during this assault, she realizes as she's calling out to Egwene and looking at her reaction that Egwene actually is controlling them. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they're gone and she like gathers herself together um, she she says something to the effect of, like, how could you have done that to me, or that was you know, terrible, or wh- whatever it is. And Egwene kind of minimizes the whole horrific situation, uh, saying, listen, I just did that to prove a point. Um, I was in control of them, and that scared you so much that you couldn't do anything about it. So mm-hmm. that experience to you was minor compared to what you might face outside there, where I'm not in control of them, and you're clearly not trained enough to get rid of them. So that's why I did it. Right. Um, so that's kind of the long and short of it. Yes. So <clears throat> this is, as I said, one of the most controversial moments in the book series, I think, because, uh, well, for a lot of reasons. Um, I guess the first thing I would say is last night I re-listened to an episode of uh, Allie and Gus's podcast, just make sure I've got that right. Wheel takes, sorry. Oh, wheel takes, um, okay. And they do a really good job talking about this chapter, and in particular, Allie, who uh, is a survivor of sexual assault, talks about a lot about the um, like nuances of being a woman who is a survivor and uh, the sort of problematic way that RJ writes about this. Um 
And so I have just a couple of things that I would like to say about that. And some of these are things that Allie also shares, which is um, it's disappointing that Robert Jordan, who is somebody who does such an amazing job writing about trauma specifically for other characters, writes such a traumatic, a scene of traumatic assault of somebody and that it appears to have no lasting impact. Like it happens and then the characters just move on. And like, to my recollection, I don't think this moment ever gets brought up again. Hmm. Um, And so it's, it's, I think trivializing what Egwene just did to Nynaeve. I think that like, Ali and Gus talk a lot about how um, in no way excusing what Egwene has done to Nynaeve, uh, it's, I think, important for us to remember that she is somebody who has been deeply traumatized as well. She was enslaved. She was tortured. Um, and while being a survivor of trauma does not justify you traumatizing another person, it is a fact of the world that sometimes traumatized people can inflict trauma upon others. Um, And that could have been a contributing factor to her behavior here, particularly also a lot of people who talk about this chapter talk about the scene where I think it's Amos capture or catches or Egwene wandering the world of dreams. And she turns herself into a monster who like is about to bite her face off. And there's a lot of similarities between these two scenes so a lot of people say like, oh, it's just like that scene. Like she's just doing what the wise ones did to uh, her. Um, but I think that that ignores the elements of sexual assault involved in what Egwene has done here. Um, yeah. And it's so, and it, as I said, I think he, I don't think he writes about this moment with the same kind of care that he does uh, with you know, war-related trauma that he does pretty well for his other characters like Rand um, or Perrin, for example. But I also think that Robert, this is where it's, this is kind of like my personal read on this scene, is that I, I think Robert Jordan is a brilliant author. I think he's a very, very, was a very, very smart man, really educated, really, really well-read, really well-researched. I I personally don't think he fully understood what he was writing here. Um, And I base this opinion on the fact that the characters, Nynaeve and Egwene, immediately following this, kind of gloss over it uh, as, like, Nynaeve being sulky, and they kind of have these, like, trivial moments following this scene. And so my, my belief is that I don't think Robert Jordan really understood this as a, or didn't really understand sexual assault as being a very uh, complicated topic that involves a lot of different actions that are not just like rape, right? Right. Um, So I I don't know that he fully got what he was writing here personally. Um, And... I also don't, and because of that, I also don't think that he, one of the reasons that I still and always have loved Egwene as a character is because, like, 
I don't think that if Robert Jordan had understood what he was fully writing here uh, and understood the complexities around sexual assault fully, uh, I think that he probably wouldn't have had Egwene do this. And so my kind of like the way I reconcile this scene in the context of the series is I don't think the choices that he had Egwene make here are choices that are actually in line with this character and the way that I understand her to be. Yeah. Um, I I agree. I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, And the thoughts of Allie and Gus, thank you for looking into that and sharing it because I'm curious to see what other people out there think. Yeah. Especially in terms of someone who is a survivor and how they would experience this. Um, Yeah. I agree. I think Robert Jordan, you said, has war experience. Yes. And so I think he has a very good way of explaining things he's got personal experience with. Yes. I, to my knowledge, or at least publicly, he has no experience with being a survivor of sexual assault. And it's certainly so, something, never something that I recall him ever talking about. Right. And I think it shows in this type of writing, because I think you're right. Yeah. I don't think he realizes the magnitude of what he's writing. I think he meant this to be a sort of moment where the power struggle between Egwene and Nynaeve is shown and the sort of like, yeah. oh, Egwene There's is the... Yeah, exactly. The shift, yeah. that's what I meant. And Egwene is sort of the one teaching lessons now. Yes. Um, and like Egwene having had the experience of being with the Sean Chan and having had trauma that she lived with for multiple days, maybe because of his experience with war, he is understanding a feeling of PTSD with Egwene. Yes where she's sort of numb to these sensationalized feelings. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean that in, like, the literal sense, like the actual numb to these traumatic experiences. Yeah. And her doing something so horrific because of that doesn't feel as horrific to her. To her, it feels like, listen, I, you know— I know what hell is like, and right, here is right. a version of hell that you think you know, but you don't. Yeah. Um, and I love you, and I'm trying to protect you. I think that's what it's meant to be, but I don't think he realized the implications of what these creatures actually do and what yes. Egwene has them do and watches them do without helping. Yeah. And then almost equally as bad, the way she kind of just brushes over it afterwards when right. she fully is traumatized. Like, gaslights her and is like... Oh, stop no sulking. Deal. You're a child. Exactly. No big deal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think that's what he meant to do. And I think it's because he doesn't have the experience. And I also think, I don't remember what year this book was written, but I'm imagining the early 90s. Yes. And I don't so, know if the conversation around trauma and assault was the same. It for sure wasn't. And uh, definitely. So uh, in the episode that Ali and Gus uh, talk about this episode, which I I really recommend people go and listen to. It is very, very nuanced, really well uh, kind of teased out. Um, and so uh, you can, and you can find it really easily because they're if you're not a listener to their podcast, they sort it the same way where it's like Fires of Heaven chapter you know fifteen whatever. Um, so you can find it really easily, and it, and they do an excellent job talking about it. And uh, Ali really 
is very brave in sharing her story and also uh, talks a lot about kind of like the complicating factors around like gaslighting and, and all of that. They bring up a point that in discussion with Jenny from Lesby Nerdy, uh, Jenny talks about how this book was really published right around the time, written and published right around the time of the Lorena Bobbitt case, which we talk about mm-hmm. on our other podcast, where there, you know, Lorena had talked about how John had raped her in the context of their marriage and how, like, marital rape was not a like it it was a topic of public debate as to whether somebody could be raped in a marriage and so um the idea that you know there was it was a period of time where sexual assault and rape were talked about very very differently i don't i think if he were writing this today it would be a very different scene um i hope at least um one of the things i will say about robert jordan's writing is that Um, throughout the series, you will see a few instances where, um, for sort of the same actions, men and women experience different forms of like, quote unquote, punishment or retribution. Mm -hmm. Um, in the series, men are often like, uh, you know, killed or, or physically punished or tortured in some way. Women are often, uh, punished with sexual assault and Mm -hmm. that's, just a problem, of course. Um, but I do think that part of that, I, part of the way that he writes these uh, moments is both a factor of um, the time and also I think just the the nuance of understanding that he has around sexual assault. Yeah. So. All right. Okay. Um, one other thing that I did want to mention is that in their episode, Allie and Gus, Allie mentions a website called website called DoesTheDogDie.com. and it uh, was is a website where it kind of originated as a a website of like parents being able to say like, "Can I show my kid this movie? Like, does the dog die in this oh, movie?" Right, right. Um, and has since emerged to be like a really excellent resource for trauma related to pieces of media. And so you can like go on there and look up a piece of media and see like content warnings that other people have given that piece of media to say like, is there, you know, is the N word mentioned in this piece of media? Is there like fat jokes in this piece of media? So there's a lot of trauma-informed content warnings for different pieces of media. So it's a really excellent website. If you experience triggers related to specific topics and you're not sure if you can engage with a piece of media, it's a great website that she mentions um, that I wanted to also mention because I think that's really great that people have done that. Yeah, that's awesome. So anyway, okay. Anything else we want to say about this this interaction before we go on to the rest of the... Uh, chapter. No, I mean, it was disappointing. Uh, yeah. I feel the same way as you do. I feel like if he writes very, he writes very positively, he writes very, with a very inclusive voice, usually, yeah. and he's usually very, like, clued into the nuance and character. Yeah. yeah, and the types of things and how each little thing affects the character. And yeah. to see how he kind of breezes past this, I don't even think he met. I'm not excusing him. I don't know what he was thinking. The way I yes. read it as yeah. a first-time reader, I don't think he realized the sexual connotations of this specific assault. Right. I or, don't think. Yeah, or the depth would... of trauma that things like this can cause. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think he meant this to be a very scary attack. 
Yes, I agree. That was like equally as scary as any of the other attacks that some of the, you know, characters have gone through who maybe haven't survived. I don't yeah. think he meant it to be what it was, but he did it. And, you know, yep. it's it's unfortunate. So Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So okay. this whole thing happens. We kind of rush past it and the as you said, it's not mentioned again in the chapter, and it seems not to be mentioned again in the series. The The result of this is they kind of awkwardly have this shift that mm-hmm. Nynaeve is noticing, especially yes. in this moment, where Egwene is sort of uh, taking on the the older sister role that she once had. Yes. Um, and she's not f- fond of it, but she is also not fond of the fact that she feels powerless to it. Like, she's actually falling in line with it. Right. Um, they change the subject because it's getting tense, and they talk about how different Swan's chambers are looking because now they've entered the room. Um, it's grand. It's obviously dre- dressed how Elida has it. So they're like, this is weird. Yeah. They realize that there's that painting of Rand and Ba'alzaman. Uh, it, you know, Naive, Naive is like a little conspiracy theorist here. She's like, wait, look at this, look at that. This is weird. This isn't right. And Egwene is like, well, we don't really know. But at the same time, that painting is very troubling. That's like the yeah. one piece that they can't reconcile, neither one of them. Um, they realize that no matter what, whoever put this up, whether it's Swan or someone else, has a wildly different mindset from the Swan that they know. So yes. something is wrong with Swan or she's not around. They are troubled enough to start searching through her desk and everything in the room for clues. And uh, Egwene leaves the room looking in the, in the like adjoining room. Mm-hmm. While they're searching, Nynaeve is fuming that Egwene is giving her orders and that she's mm-hmm. taking them. Uh, she finds three boxes of note. One, when she opens it, just has writing materials, which she thinks is, okay, whatever. Another has what I think sound like a bunch of ungrail, just kind of like wrapped in fabric. Mm-hmm. And the last one has paperwork in it. So she's like, okay, jackpot. I'm going to see what she's been doing. She goes through all of the papers. They're kind of like only showing her. She's in the dream world. Things don't appear the same. So she's seeing like most of what's on the the notes and as she like looks through them they kind of disappear when she puts them Mm -hmm. back down and they keep changing she's just kind of discovering what's going on in the world uh rumors of war and unrest in different locations that we've already heard about Mm -hmm. and she's like i'm not interested in any of this (laughs) i want the local news so she finds one note that starts talking about a possible sighting or gathering of blue sisters out in the world and before she gets a chance to complete the reading of this note, Egwene cries out from the other room. She thinks she's being attacked, so she runs in on the ready and sees that she's alone. And she's like, what's going on? And Egwene turns around and says, oh, my God, Elida is the Amerlin. And she's like, no way, no way. And she's like, way, trust me. I just found <laughs> <Way>. papers. <laughs> and she signed them as Elida blah, 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 all these things, the Amarlin seat. And she's like, everything else is pointing to this happening. True. I mean, look at the room, all of this. So they're like, oh my God, it's true. But what does that mean for Swan? Is she dead? Is she like stilled? Is she, did she run away? What's going on? They they mainly think she's probably dead. That seems to be where the mind's going. Or if she's gotten sick and died. They have no idea, though. I mean, trust me. If they knew, 
I mean, if they only knew. Yeah. Either way, Nynaeve says, quote, Elida is as mean as a snake and as cruel as a cat. So there's no telling what she'll do. So it's not good no matter what. Mm-mm. Egwene shares that the rest of the documents that she read say that both Moiraine and Elaine are under arrest, basically. They're uh, were, they're wanted women, mm-hmm. and uh, they're looking for any sisters to bring them back to the tower to stand trial for treason. Nynaeve puzzles out that that message that they got from Rond Makura uh, makes sense to her now about everyone returning. It's safe to go now if you're loyal. Because she's like, well, I guess when Elida took over, there was dissent and a split, and some people probably defected and left. And Egwene is like, that is impressive. You're probably right. I never thought of that. And then he was like, okay, I thank you. Like She's starting to notice that I'm in charge again. <laughs> but it's just a moment. Uh, or Egwene then says, okay, what did the message that you saw about the Blue Gathering say exactly? And she's like, I can't remember. I got interrupted while I was reading it. And she's like, you have to. And she's like urging her and pushing her like she's in charge of her. And Nynaeve just keeps like getting frustrated with this and trying to keep her temper because she doesn't want to be proven basically right. Also, she just had something traumatic happen to her that she's not over. Mm-hmm. Nynaeve realizes that there's something else bothering her, though. She can't handle the fact that she lied to Egwene before she it's just like kind of scratching at the back of her brain so she bursts out with the truth she confesses to Egwene that she didn't tell her the full truth earlier she did drink the tea they did get drugged they were in a terrible situation and had it not been for Lynn and Tom saving the two of them they'd still be there yeah Egwene kind of like smiles and and laughs a little bit and says I kind of figured as much uh you've been droning on about herbs since the day I've known you and I've <laughs> never heard of fork root so ah, I thought that was a fork tongue or whatever it was so she's like I think that kind of tracks mm-hmm. um, she says that's kind of your thing though you you don't always tell the full truth you kind of clean it up mm-hmm. and she's like I do not and she's like you, you, you do uh, it's kind of like your thing and they, they argue back and forth and um, Nynaeve says alright fine she says, quote, sometimes I try to make things look better for myself than they were, sometimes, but never anything important. I've never lied about anything important. Never, I swear. Only small things. She kind of sounds like a little kid, you know? It's She's very disarmed in this moment. Yeah, yeah. And she becomes vulnerable. She opens up to her sister, her best friend, her soulmate. <laughs> and what does uh, Gwen do? She just kind of brushes over it and says, okay, great. Here's the plan. Uh, we're going to tell a very, very few people, maybe just Rand and Moiraine about this because we don't know what'll happen. And, uh, in the meantime, don't lose your temper like a boar and blurt it out. <laughs> and then he was like, wow, totally shot down. Totally not looking at the same girl I thought I knew. Yeah. Um, she has to keep repeating that I'm not a fool. I'm not going to do that. And then Egwene says, okay, I hope not. And she disappears. And then Nynaeve wakes up. And we get a quick perspective shift to Egwene in this moment. So she is waking up relieved to be alone because she's not supposed to be sneaking off to the dream world alone. And so if one of the wise ones were there, she would be in for it. She is relieved that Nynaeve didn't figure that part out. Also, she did not want Nynaeve to know that she was there like against 
permission because it, you know, A, makes her look weaker, and B, it gives Nynaeve in her mind the upper hand in the situation of them both being there. She was so focused on her not finding this out that she was breaking the rules that she couldn't stop talking. And she mm-hmm. was so concerned with keeping Nynaeve from, like, puzzling this out, because Nynaeve is a puzzle queen, uh, <laughs> that she just kept talking and, and being so coarse with her to not let her get a word in edgewise. She's impressed with herself for being so successful at this, yep. but she's so totally unaware of what she just did to her friend and how she hurt her. Yep. One thing she does gather from this is that all of the women she admires for, like, keeping their composure and commanding respect, like Swan and Moiraine, for example, they never yell or raise their voice when they argue either. They always kind of Mm -hmm. keep their cool like Mm -hmm. she just did. So she's kind of like feeling good about that part at least. It's kind of like in Devil Wears Prada, like the one who never raises her voice and who just has the most cutting things to say (laughs) is the one who has the control. That's all. That's all. (laughs) So now... She goes outside to where she was sleeping, and she's hoping to run into Moiraine if she's still up, but she doesn't. She doesn't, so she goes to Rand's tent instead. Maybe she'll tell him first. It's still being guarded by the maidens, and uh, Avienda's still there, of course, and so she peeks in, like, asking the maidens, like, is he taking guests? And Avienda and one of the other maidens say, he's awake, he doesn't sleep much, but he he's with... Um, the Gleeman. And she peers in and hear, overhears him kind of talking to um, Jason and sharing a book with him. And she realizes it's probably the prophecy. And they're kind of like laughing and having some kind of conversation. So she's wondering if she should interrupt. And the the Aiel women basically say, probably not. So she goes to Moiraine instead. She talks to Moiraine and says, listen, I'm just going to be out with it. Uh, Elida's the, the Amerlin now, and we don't know what's going on with Swan. And she says, hmm, okay, well, how did you how do you know this to be true? Was it a vision? Are you actually, like, able to do that whole talent of dreaming and foretelling that we've heard about? And Egwene wishes that was the case, because she has been able to, like, dream things that could be true, mm-hmm. but she's never been able to interpret them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to read a quote. It's a little bit long, but it's kind of—it's just a little list of the things she's dreamed. Okay. It says, she's dreamed, Rand sitting down in a chair, and somehow she knew that the chair's owner would be murderously angry at having her chair taken. Uh, that the owner was a woman was as much as she could pick out of that and not a thing more. So no idea what that means. I don't know what that means either. I don't know what chair Rand would be taking over that would be female. Uh, The only thing I could think of is that that Aiel woman who's standing in as as chief Mm, for Anakism. Cool it inside, yeah. Either her and her not liking that Rand is like taking over, you know, the Aiel basically. Or maybe it's... uh, Elida herself not liking that Rand is becoming powerful. I don't know. Mm. Uh, another dream. She says she's dreamed Perrin lounging with Fael on his lap, kissing her while she played with the shortcut beard that he wore in the dream. Behind them, two banners waved, a red wolf's head and a crimson eagle. A man in, uh, in a bright yellow coat stood near Perrin's shoulder, a sword strapped to his back. 
In some way, she knew that he was a tinker, though no tinker would ever touch a sword. So that, to me, is is easy. You know, it's just what's gone on with Perrin and Fael and uh, Aram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, da, 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 da. every time he moved closer to Perrin, it was as if a chill of doom shot through everything, though. So that's weird. I don't know why mm. that's bad that Aram is going closer to Perrin. But I wonder mm-hmm. if it's bringing the tinkers against him or something. Mm-hmm. Another dream. Matt throwing the dice with blood streaming down his face. The wide brim of his hat pulled low so he could not see his wound. While Tom Marilyn put his hand into a fire to draw out the small blue stone that now dangled on Moraine's forehead. I don't know anything about the Tom Marilyn and the, the stone part on Moraine's mm-hmm. forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Matt throwing dice with blood streaming down his face. I wonder if this just has to do with whoever he is and how he's died and come back. I don't really know. Okay. Um, and then the last one, I think, is a dream of a storm, great dark clouds rolling without wind or rain, while forked lightning bolts, everyone identical, rent the earth. She had dreams, but as a dreamer, she was a failure so far. Well, that sounds like the fires of heaven, whatever that is. So mm, I guess okay. we'll find out what that means. Okay. So she says that in the dream world, she even saw on the Amberlin's desk and arrest warrant for Moraine. Mm-hmm. And Moraine just kind of wheel wills it away. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. And Egwene is like, hello, this is big. And wasn't Swan like, uh, your friend? Like, mm-hmm. have some compassion? She says that she has no time or space for feelings. Um, it's been nearly 21 years since she and Swan began their search for the Dragon Reborn. And they always knew there'd be consequences. She also can't, like, minimize the fact that she's mourning for the tower and the loss of the tower breaking apart. It's been 3,000 years that the tower's been serving the world, and she put a lot of stake into becoming Aes Sedai and and honoring her oaths. She also cannot forget that there's a serious threat that Rand faces because of this. And Egwene tells Moiraine that she needs to be responsible for telling Rand about all of this so he doesn't get suspicious about Egwene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, tell him about the tower and Swan and all of that. And she says that uh, while you're at it, you could share this with Rand or not, but there's something else we've seen in the dream world. Uh, all of the Forsaken are basically loose in Teleron Riyadh, almost every single one of them, and they're all plotting something, it seems like, especially Landfear. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she and Moraine both know that Lanfear once loved Luce. And Moraine takes this as kind of a good thing because she hopes that maybe this could like be dealt with later since she probably won't hurt Rand since she loves him. But she's worried about all of the other Forsaken more in the meantime. And it all they can do is keep a watch. And Egwene is like, that's the plan. We're just going to keep an eye on him. And she says, "Listen, we got to cut the cord. <laughs> we got to cut the cord. He's got to yeah. learn to do things on his own. You know, we're here to guide him, but he has to run and learn to run alone." And she's like, "Okay, one more thing. Why have you been like listening to him so much lately? I told Nynaeve you're doing it, and she doesn't think it's right either." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh, she doesn't, does she?" <laughs> and she basically says that the two of them will learn, uh, and just remember, like she compares it to channeling. And Egwene kind of takes this like a metaphor 
for surrendering in order to control mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And Egwene is like, oh, I get that. Okay, that makes sense. And then she realizes that she gets it because she's been having a conversation with Moraine, like they're contemporaries, like they're equals. And she's like, hmm, interesting that she talks to me that way. Maybe I'm closer to be choosing my Aja after all. And that is the end mm. of this chapter. Oof. Wow. Wow. What what were your favorite parts of these chapters? Or what was your favorite part? I loved the moment when they discover that Elida is the Amarlin seat. Yeah. I was so relieved that somebody else now knows this. Because up till now, nobody has a clue. No. That needs to know. And so I... I'm especially delighted that they told Moraine already. Like, I really can't wait to see the next Moraine chapter now and hear what she's actually thinking. Because they always Mm -hmm. are thinking more than they say. So that, to me, was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Huge relief. Um, Yeah. What about you? I mean, I always enjoy, like, the moments of prophecy. So, like, the list of Egwene's dreams. Like, it... I, I just enjoy this because it was fun for me as a first-time reader to try to, like, puzzle out what it could mean. And then now as a, like, many-time reader, it's mm-hmm. fun to revisit and be like, oh, yeah, that thing. Or, oh, funny that they talked about this that way. Yeah. I'm, oh, um, God, I can't wait to hear what some of these things actually are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I like that moment. And I do also, you know, uh, the scene that we talked about in detail aside, I do like Egwene's character development with Moraine and sort of, you know, she is maturing as a character and realizing like, you know, maintaining composure and uh, all of that is a more effective strategy than screaming at people, (laughs) which is just, you know, a good uh, character development for anyone. Yeah. Uh, But I just like that, you know, Moiraine seems to recognize that as well. Like, it recognizes the character development that Egwene seems to be having there as well. So I I like that moment, too. Yeah, that's true. That is good advice for just anybody out there. (laughs) Yes. Speak calmly and stop screaming at people. Yeah. Well, I know that your phone is either in your hands or within reach, so pick it up and head to whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, and please subscribe. And while you're there, please rate and review our podcast, because that is the number one thing that helps other people find our show. Exactly. And the number two thing that you should do is recommend our podcast to a friend, because you have great taste and people really respect your opinions. And the number three thing you should do is follow us on social media. We're Cool Story Pod on Instagram and Cool Story Pod One Twitter uh, on Twitter. And you can email us at coolstorypod at gmail.com. Yes, and this is the number four thing, but it's really the number one thing you should do. We yes. have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash n and Matt, and you get cool bonus episodes where we do things like review books and movies. We play fun games like Would You Rather. We got a whole bunch of stuff there. And the number five thing you should do, well, you don't have to, but if you want, if you don't want to subscribe to our Patreon, but you'd like to support us, you can always just buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash nnmat. And thank you so much for listening to Cool Story. See you next week. Bye. Bye.